Jose, good to have you. Welcome to our guests. Welcome to everybody watching online. As always, we hope you can join us in person very soon. We sent off 21 teenagers today and eight adults down to Maytown, Kentucky. They're on the road right now going to serve, um, help folks down there, their houses through flooding and all that. So please be in prayer for them throughout the week. I don't know what your background is, where you're at in your spiritual journey, but we're all gathered here to grow closer to God to experience community, I want to urge you to take your next step, whatever that may be. It's June, which means it's wedding month. Some people love them, some people dread them, but we all get invited to them at some point, right? And you have to decide, you know, who makes the cut? Who, who gets on the guest list and who gets snubbed? Who do you invite to your wedding? Because, you know, you got all these relatives you don't even know, but you don't want to offend Aunt Margaret by leaving anybody out. So do I invite all my coworkers? Or just can I have a couple of close ones? I mean, do I, I got I to invite my stupid boss too. Everybody, all my old friends from high school, should I leave anybody out from that? How about all the people from church? How many church people can I invite to my wedding? So you got all these plus ones on top of that, right? All your friends have significant others. Am I supposed to pay for that guy you've only been dating for three weeks? I don't think so. Can we talk kids? Am I supposed to invite all my friends' kids too? I mean, who do I got to bump off my guest list in order to have a bunch of rambunctious, whiny, wailing kids at my wedding, right? It doesn't seem right because you don't want to say to your friend, well, I want you to come, but I don't want your kids. Keep them home. In other words, weddings are very stressful events, a lot of pressure to plan the perfect day that you have been preparing for in that bottomless pit of Pinterest, right, all that time. How many of you look back on your wedding right now and say, yeah, I wish I, wish I hadn't stressed out so much? Wish I had chilled out a little bit more. Wish I hadn't spent so much. How many would admit to that? Yeah, okay. Well, think about how much you spend on just a wedding dress you're only going to wear one time. Think about um, all the money that you spent for photos that you're probably never going to look at again the rest of your lives. I mean, just to buy invitations today, the average is 500 bucks. Folks, that's about how much Penny and I spent on our entire wedding. We were young. We didn't have any money. So we bought a minimal number of flowers. Um, she got a dress. Uh, we had a nice cake. We had some sparkling grape juice. No meal, no band, no DJ. We hopped in our Chevette and drove down to Gatlinburg and ate at Burger King for our honeymoon. All right? <laughs> Guess what? We've been married 37 years now, and we're doing just fine. So you don't have to have all that stuff, right? Both, but both of my sons, they had a lot nicer weddings than we did, a lot bigger affairs. Uh, my younger son just got married in October. Nice venue, nice meal. I will say the preacher came real cheap. But uh, honestly, I tried to convince both my boys to elope. It takes so much, seriously, it takes so much pressure off, and it's so much less expensive for us. And so please, elope, and you could be living as husband and wife right now instead of waiting for months for what, a big party? And the guys were completely on board with it. Their brides-to-be weren't having it. So the truth is, all these guests that you invite, they really don't care about having a big wedding and a fancy reception. They just want to get it over with, have a nice meal, dance to some crummy music, and keep 
the alcohol flowing, right? I mean, it's, which makes it more expensive too and more dangerous when you have an open bar. I mean, let's get the cousins all liquored up and see what happens. Not a good idea. So fortunately, neither of our sons wanted to have alcohol at their weddings, which was good because I didn't want to pay for it anyway. But let's talk about that as we continue in the Gospel of John today. Uh, Did you invite Jesus to your wedding? That's a pretty good idea, don't you think? Well, there was a couple back then who did invite him, and he brought his plus six (laughs) new new disciples with him. So they all came to the wedding together, and uh, that was a big deal for these disciples because uh, they they get to go to a big wedding banquet, and all they're used to is hanging around with John the Baptist, the guy who ate bugs and honey. So this this was awesome for them to go over to Cana, which was close to Jesus' hometown, Whose wedding it was, how Jesus got on the guest list, we don't know. But since it was so close to home, it's possible that maybe his mother Mary was a close family friend, and that's why she's there getting involved in the whole thing. And you might wonder, okay, well, Mary's there, but where's Joseph? Where's her husband? Right, it's Father's Day. Where's Dad at the wedding? Sad to say, probably at this point he had already died. Or it's possible Joseph's a typical man, I want to go to a wedding. So he has to stay home and, you know, take care of the dog. Or, you know, hey, I got a big lumber delivery coming to the carpenter shop. Sorry, I can't make it. We don't know, but Joseph's not on the scene anymore at this wedding. And weddings are a big deal now, but they were a big deal back then, too. They would go on for a week sometimes, and it was the host's responsibility to make sure the food and the drinks kept coming. It would be a very embarrassing social disaster to run out of wine at a wedding, which you know, at any wedding, things go wrong. Isn't it true that typically some, they rarely go off without a hitch, which is why we love watching those America's Funniest Videos or YouTube clips where the weddings go off the rails. You know, something happens where, uh, you know, the weather's terrible or the rings go missing or, uh, you know, the groom passes out or the bride has a wardrobe malfunction. Uh, the flower girl freaks out. The preacher's puking. There's a, the first dance drop. There's the, you know, the cake fallen over, all kinds of fails, but hey, it just makes it more memorable. You're making memories, it's good. Chances are this Cana bridal family are not wealthy, and so by cheaping out on the wine, they have set the stage for Jesus to perform his very first miracle, turning water to wine. The only miracle recorded in the Gospel of John that is not in the other three Gospels. And it is his very first miracle, which means, no, he never performed a miracle as a child or a teenager as a young adult. You know, when, when mom said, hey, Jesus, why don't you just sweep the house? He didn't go, and, you know, it was done. Or, you know, the family pet dies, and, you know, he didn't do any of that. Uh, this is the first time. And get this, this is probably the very first miracle certifiable biblical miracle on the face of the earth for about 500 years. Last time would have been Daniel in Babylon, you know, the lion's den and all that. Uh, In Israel, there hadn't been a miracle for 700 years since the time of Isaiah, and the sun went back 10 degrees. Now, there was the legend of the Hanukkah miracle in Israel. About 200 years before Jesus, it was said that the menorah candle in the temple stayed lit for eight days on only one day's worth of oil. But that is not in the Bible. It's not verifiable. The only other miracle would have been the virgin birth itself, but, you know, that wasn't visible to anybody. So this is a big deal that Jesus is performing the first visible miracle in hundreds of years. We've already seen in John his identity revealed as God in the flesh, the Word of God, the Word. Uh, we've seen his, 
his mission revealed as the Messiah and the Lamb of God. Now we're going to see his glory revealed as a miracle worker. It, it's a sign to give cause for belief. In fact, for the next several chapters in John, Jesus will perform these signs which causes all kinds of misunderstanding. People get upset because they're forced to have to choose who they think Jesus is. And guys, that is the most important question of all is who is Jesus? And how you decide on that determines everything about your life, uh, your, your worldview and the world you're going to view after this world. His credentials leave no room for riding the fence. You've got to decide. Either he is the Lord of glory and he is worthy of my wholehearted, flat-out, full-blown, all-in discipleship and obedience, or he's just another mere man and a footnote in ancient history that I'm free to ignore. It's one or the other. Well, these signs are significant. This is what a sign is supposed to be. It signals something. It signals his divinity and his claim over every part of our lives. He did these signs so that we would believe. And that's our big idea. Believe in Jesus because of his glorious signs. So when the wine runs out, that's when his mother gets involved. And she tells him to, to do something about it. And he calls her woman, which today gets under a lot of people's skin because you, you don't call your mom or your wife or anyone woman, right? I don't know when it got so cool to call everybody man, you know, hey man, but you don't say, hey woman, you don't just do that, all right? So what's going on here calling her woman? <laughs> Well, by the way, guys, do, you might want to claim this as your life verse. You might be tempted to use John 2, 4. Woman, what do I have to do with this? Like, you know, mom says, uh, make your bed. Woman, what do I have to do with this? Hey, it's in the Bible. Or, honey, would you fix the cabinet? Woman, what does that have to do with me? You're tempted to do Don't do that. Don't make that your life verse that you quote all the time. Um, Actually, I think it could be a little bit of an endearing term. Like it's, it's all in the tone of voice, isn't it? You know, woman, woman. So I don't think it's as harsh and condescending as we might be reading into it. It actually might be a bit of a gentle rebuke because what business was it of Mary's or of Jesus to get involved in this? I mean, what's he going to do about it? The only thing he can do is perform a miracle, which maybe that's what his mother's trying to get him to do. Because let's face it, she had never seen him perform a miracle before but she knew who he was and she knew who he could do it so she's like son this is your chance this could be your big public reveal let's see something big which moms like to do they kind of prod their kids honey go ahead show the people what you can do show them how talented you are everybody watch this right? and he's like mom come on it's uh, it's not time for that yet I'm not ready for that mom kind of back off stay in your lane let me deal with my father's will but who can blame her Again, for 30 years, she's been living with this kind of knowledge that this is a miracle baby. This is the Son of God. And she knew it was a virgin birth, but she's been living under this cloud that everybody didn't think she was a virgin. So, of course, she's, she knows Jesus is like, well, he's been living like Clark Kent, but she knew he was really Superman. So come on, son, this is your chance to finally vindicate me and show everybody. See, I told you he was the son of God. I told you I was a virgin. Why, why wouldn't you want that to happen? But she's really not telling him to do that. 
She lets him do what he wants and she accepts his gentle rebuke and instead goes to the servants just in case and says, well, whatever he wants to do, you do that. And that would, guys, that would probably be a better life verse for you. Do whatever it is he tells you. I like that. Some of you are old enough to remember back in the days of the famous actor and director Orson Welles. Do you remember toward the end of his life, he started doing those wine commercials for Paul Masson? Do you remember that? Uh, Really, you can still watch those on YouTube and you can watch the outtakes of him recording his lines while he was drunk. He got into the wine while he was doing the commercial and they're they're pretty fun. In fact, these were some of the very first viral videos passed along on VHS ever. But you know his line was, we will sell no wine before it's time. (laughs) Well, he was drinking it before it was time, but he wouldn't sell it before it was time. But that's Jesus saying, I will do no miracles before it's time. This isn't the time. The Lord has his own timetable. We get impatient with him. We try to force him to do stuff. We try to, we try to uh, rush him into things. I want God to do something for me right now. But come on, God's got his timetable. Sometimes he'll say no. Sometimes he'll just say not yet. Not the right time. Mary had good intentions, but her other sons did not. You know, Jesus had half-brothers, and later on we're going to see them trying to force him into doing something spectacular, you know, to to prove that he's really the Son of God. Okay, brother, we've heard this all our lives, but you've never shown us anything. So later they try to get him to go to this big Jewish feast and, and do something spectacular to show off. In John 7, they said, if you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come. Why? Because if he went to Jerusalem like they wanted, there were people there wanting to kill him. And uh, it would have been too soon. So later he does show up, causes some controversy, goes into the temple, gets in trouble. But John 8 says no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Well... Jesus doesn't want the spotlight at this point, but he goes ahead and accommodates his mother's request because, after all, it's his mom. So he turns the water into wine, but he doesn't do it in a public way. Not with a lot of fanfare. Uh, He kind of does it secretly in private. Only the master of ceremonies, kind of the wedding coordinator, and his servants know about it. And only Mary and his other disciples know about it. And that's the way he wanted it. This was for their benefit to confirm and reinforce their fresh new faith. And again, this will be the first time Mary's ever seen her son do anything like this. And by the way, um, as he's doing this this miracle of turning water to wine, you know, it's these huge six stone jars full of water. This This would have been like 120 to 180 gallons of fine wine. I mean, whoa, talk about my cup overflows. That's a lot of wine. What kind was it? Don't know. White, red, a Cabernet, a Chardonnay, a Merlot, doesn't say, but it was unique, one of a kind. It was the best ever. Remember when God provided bread for the Jews in, in the wilderness? It was called manna, bread from heaven. Well, this is wine from heaven. This is liquid manna. This is, this is primo stuff, the best. And, and very expensive if you think about it. I mean... That many stone jars, that would be like 900 bottles of wine today. And how much does wine go for? I don't know, 15, 20 bucks a bottle? 
<laughs> now you're talking about, and this, this isn't like the cheap stuff either. This isn't like something that comes out of a jug or a box or something you find on the shelves at Walmart or that old Boone's Farm stuff. This is superior quality wine. So this is like minimum $20,000 wedding gift. Jesus is very generous. And you think about all these rare historic bottles of wine that go for hundreds of thousands of dollars at an auction. Imagine if there was still just one bottle of Jesus wine around today. How much would that go for? Right? And they, they would say, well, this is a fine wine. What year is it? 30? Uh, I mean, this is really old. Excellent stuff. But this presents a bit of a problem to think that Jesus not only went to a party where there was wine, but so much of it, and he's the one supplying it. I mean, would, would he do that? Well, yeah, there was a huge quantity, but there was a lot of people there too. Bottom line, Jesus would never do anything to promote drunkenness because it's clear throughout Scripture that sinful and anything short of sobriety is unacceptable, right? Because we lose control. Alcohol is a major problem for a lot of people. But for many others, it's no problem at all. Some associate alcohol with good times, with special occasions like weddings. Others, though, associate it with terrible times and with the bar culture, with depression and uh, deviancy and debauchery. I mean, for them, you know, when they're drunk, they lose control and they do debased, dangerous destructive deeds and that's why it's such a major social problem because of all the awful things associated with with drunkenness today all the crimes that are committed all the violence perpetrated all the people that are hurt and killed in accidents because of drinking so I don't believe for a moment that Jesus would approve of let alone aid in providing enough alcohol for people to get drunk on I mean who's to say that this was even alcoholic wine because the Greek word for wine is oinos and that does not necessarily mean that it had alcohol in it, um, that it was intoxicating. In fact, maybe that's why it tasted so good is that it was fresh more than fermented. It was more sweet than bitter. But you understand back then, wine was very common because it was safer than drinking water. They didn't have anything else. So... uh, I don't think it's really any problem to think of Jesus creating that much wine for a special celebration. It just would have most likely had very low alcohol content. In fact, the Jewish people would cut or dilute wine with a lot of water. It would be like three parts water to one part wine. Unlike today, where all the alcohol content is jacked up by distilleries. So strong drink is still very problematic because it doesn't take much to get even a little drunk on. Wine and beer are less of a problem because they still have relatively low alcohol content and it takes a lot more to get drunk. So the problem seems to be more about portion control than it does the product itself. So what about all those who can drink in moderation without getting drunk? Well, drinking certainly is less taboo in our culture than it used to be and, and churches tend to be more lax about it than they once were. There are, I think, fewer... Christian teetotalers than there used to be. I've told you before, I grew up, um, I, I became a Christian very young and I never even wanted to deal with alcohol. It just wasn't an issue for me, not only 
personally, but for my Christian witness, I just didn't want any part of it. I told you I only had a taste of alcohol two times in my entire life. Uh, both times when I shouldn't have. I was only 12 years old. <laughs> 12, at uh, uh, New Year's Eve, I was given a sip of wine, and uh, at 12, at, a, at my aunt's wedding, a sip of champagne, and it was disgusting. So I've never had any alcohol since. Ironically, though, as a teenager, I began collecting. You remember the 70s fad of collecting beer cans? Did anybody do that? I had them, I had them all over my bedroom, lined up. Can we show that picture? We can't? We can. We can. There it is. Yeah. See all the beer cans in my room? I mean, that's just a few of them. And yet, ironically, I've never even tasted beer. Uh, but I didn't like what it did to people. My grandpa was always, he had, always had a PBR in his hand, right? So, uh, blue ribbon. And I remember pouring it down the drain so that he wouldn't drink it. I didn't like what it did to him. So I, I eventually got convicted about that and threw all those beer cans away. Please take that off now. But if you do choose to drink moderately, that's between you and God. That's okay. It's, it's not a sin. Uh, maybe you want to have a glass of wine at dinner or special celebrations like weddings. Maybe you're with, with the girls and you open a bottle or you're hanging out with the guys, have a couple of brews. Okay, that's fine. But I'd also suggest that we have a lot more beverage choices today than they did back then. All right? So if you're a drinker, be cautious because it can be a risky thing that leads to irresponsibility and recklessness and misery. Uh, the preacher Warren Wiersbe tells the old story about an, a coal miner who got converted to Christ. And one of his friends tried to trap him and say, you don't really think Jesus turned water into wine, do you? He said, yes, sir, I do. In fact, Jesus turned wine in my home into decent clothes for my kids and nice furniture and food for my family. So be cautious about that. The fact is, the most effective means of preventing all that misery of drunkenness and addiction is just to stay away from it altogether, just to be an abstainer. But if you are an abstainer, like I am, be careful about being hypocritical and judgmental about it. We can disagree about this and still respect one another's positions. Because it really does seem that Jesus did drink. As he points out in Matthew 11, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, that was a false charge of sinning. He never got drunk, but it does seem that he did hang out with people like that, with sinners. He went to the home of tax collector Matthew at a party, and there were certainly drinking going on there, and they, there were sinners there. But he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What did he come to call them to? To repentance. So, what I know about Jesus is that he would never participate in sin. Uh, he wouldn't do anything to bring dishonor to himself or harm to anyone else. So I think you have to ask yourself, if you drink, why? Why do I want to drink? Is, is it for the health benefits? Why, I drink it for the antioxidants. Okay. Um, be careful, though, because I think any supposed health benefits might be outweighed by the more serious risks. And if you are drinking it for the antioxidants, you do realize you can get those natural uh, antioxidants and things like produce. And I would question, how's the rest of your diet and exercise going if you're so concerned about your health? 
All right. Well, but sometimes I need a drink. Why? To loosen up and relax? Mm, do you really need an artificial personality to be in a social situation? Is that the best way to deal with stress? Do you look for happiness in the bottom of a glass? Uh, do I drink to avoid, to numb, to forget my problems? When life gets tough, do I do, go to God or to a bottle? Scripture says to be filled with the Spirit, not spirits. So can I do this rightly and can I do it to God's glory? Because in a couple of places, Paul writes two complementary truths. Read them together with me. First, First Corinthians 10, 31, everybody. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, so it, is anything you're doing, is it making you holier or less holy? Watch out for that. I mean, it may be happy hour, but it's always holy hour for Christians. Being a Christian, though, isn't about what you eat or drink. Paul also says in Romans 14, 17, everybody, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, you have freedom in Christ to drink or not to drink. Is it ever wrong to drink? Yes, in three circumstances. One, if the law prohibits it. So underage drinking is out of the question for Christians because we're called to obey the governing authorities unless it interferes with or violates our faith. And certainly no drinking and driving because even a mild buzz can impair your judgment negatively. Secondly, if your conscience prohibits it, Romans 14 says if you can't do something with a clear conscience, then it's wrong. It's sin for you. So a good principle is if in doubt, don't. Now that's not to say that if it's not good for you right now, later on maybe it will be. That's okay. But number three, if the faith of another believer is harmed by it or if my witness to unbelievers is harmed. You never want to harm anybody else's faith by your example. That's why Paul says, if drinking causes another believer to stumble, then I won't drink anymore. Because to care about others means sometimes foregoing personal freedoms. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 6, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. Why? So that no fault may be found with our ministry. And guys, that's the main reason why I don't drink. I don't want anybody to, to think less of me. I don't want my ministry to be discredited by somebody watching me drink. Now, I'm not here to bind my rules on you or to judge you, but I would ask you, if you saw me walk up here right now and preaching with a, with a beer in my hand, or if you knew that I, I, I smoked a joint before I came out here, would you respect me more or less? Would you trust what I have to say more or less? You say, well, you're a preacher. You represent God. So do you. So be careful how you represent him. 1 Timothy 3 says that church leaders are not to indulge in wine. Why? Because they're setting an example for everybody else. But really, that's something every Christian should aspire to. Now, some people try to spiritualize this whole water to wine story and say, well, it's not really about that. This is about um, how the kingdom of God is really like a wedding banquet and Jesus is no longer the guest there. He's the groom and it's all about joy. And, and you know, Moses turned water into blood uh, about judgment, but he turned it into wine and it's all celebrating. No, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't say any of that. It's very simple. The meaning was believe in Jesus because of his glorious sign. This is a sign that he is more than a man. Miracles give us a little bit of a glimpse of the glory of God. 
And why does Jesus do miracles like this? Because he loves us, because he wants to provide for our needs, because he wants to help us, he wants to do good for us. And yes, he can transform you. He can change your heart through the forgiveness he offers through his sacrifice on the cross. And he can fill you with the Holy Spirit. So this is your invitation. You're on his guest list. This is your RSVP. He has already honored you with his presence. Will you honor him with your presence and receive his invitation? Or are you going to continue to reject it, ignore it, to excuse yourself and stay away? He's not asking you to show up with a gift. He's the one offering you a gracious gift of salvation. So why don't you today put your faith in Jesus, repent of your sins, be baptized into him, and start following him as a disciple. It will be the best decision you make your entire life. And that's why in the next few moments you have an opportunity to either come to the front and meet with one of my friends or to text your name or email us and we'll get back to you right away. But even better, come get your questions answered. Come have somebody pray with you. Come have them help you get ready to be baptized right today. We're ready to do that on the spot. Start that new life. What are you waiting for? Now, another way to... uh, to take a next step is like, I'm not ready for any of that. I'm just kind of new. I'm just checking all this out. Okay, well, your next step might just be to come back next week and find out more about Jesus because you're going to see another side of Jesus you don't usually get to see. He's going to go into the temple and cleanse it out. He's going to turn over the tables and he's going to get a whip and drive out the merchants and the corrupt money changers. And that's something you, you, you want to be here for that. That's going to be a good one. If you're a Christian, you can respond right now by taking communion. You received that when you came in. If you're not a believer yet, uh, just use this quiet time to pray, think, reflect. But uh, we do this every week to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. And by the way, when you peel back the cover from the bread and you peel back the cover from the juice, it is juice. It's just grape juice. It's not wine. There's no alcohol in it. So rest assured on that. Because we really don't know what was at the Last Supper. Jesus said, drink from this fruit of the vine. He doesn't call it wine, it's just fruit of the vine. So in the 1800s, when a lot of Christians were beginning to turn away from alcohol, they were faced with a bit of a dilemma. What do we do about communion? Because they didn't have any refrigeration back then. So grape juice didn't stay fresh very long, it fermented. So those who didn't want to use alcohol were kind of forced just to go without. Most churches don't take communion every week anyway. It's fairly rare, but we we do it every week. So what do we do? Well, that's when along came Dr. Thomas B. Welch, who was formerly a preacher and a staunch opponent of alcohol. And if you've ever drank Welch's grape juice or Welch's jellies or gummy snacks, you can thank Dr. Welch for that, the guy who was determined to provide non-alcoholic juice for communion. And in 1869, he perfected juice pasteurization, and that's why you can drink all the fresh juices that are around today. So as you eat and as you drink, we remember that Jesus told his disciples, I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Not now, but at the right time. Until then, we'll continue to share in the Lord's Supper every Sunday, proclaiming his death and what it means. Let's pray together. 
Father, we first want to lift up all the teenagers and adults who are heading down to Kentucky right now, that you would bless them with safe travel, protect them from any evil and harm, God, that it will be a good, productive week, getting a lot of work done to bless the community, and even more, God, that it will grow them, that they will, they will uh, develop a stronger faith and commitment to you through their service. Lord, we want to thank you for inviting us here today, for showing us a, a glimpse of glory, giving us good reasons to believe so we don't have to rely on blind faith. And Lord, we want to invite you into every part of our lives, and we want to be able to glorify you in everything we do. So help us always be a good witness that we'd always have self-control and have sobriety. I want to pray for those who are struggling with alcohol and any other substance, Lord, that they would find freedom from addiction, that they, they'd get it under your control. And Lord, we, we know that you have a time for everything, so help us to be patient as we wait on you to, uh, to do your work and to show your glory. But Lord, there are people right now, here today, who shouldn't wait another minute to receive you. Don't let them delay another day, but accept Christ as Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if that's your decision or you have anything else you'd like to pray or talk about, come down right now or stay right where you are and share in communion.